Thank you for tuning in to the Bread of the Word podcast. Bread of the Word is an online ministry striving to feed people the life-sustaining bread of God's Word. Bread of the Word exists for the reclamation of the Bible in the heart, mind, and walk of all the saints of God, for it is the Bible itself which is the ultimate standard by which people are to live and honor God. Thank you for tuning in. This is Bread of the Word. Welcome back to the Bread of the Word podcast, Reclaiming the Bible and Exalting Christ, one verse at a time. My name is Tyler, and I'm excited to be with you this Sunday afternoon. We are continuing um, the pattern we've been going through. We've been talking about Advent, and we've been preparing our hearts for the Christmas season. And we've been doing it in kind of an unconventional way. We've been talking about the office of Christ. We've been talking about Christ as our prophet, priest, and king. We've been talking about the benefits of being in Christ. And we've been talking about what Christ did and who he is. As theologians would call it, the person and work of Christ. And simply put that the way he has operated and is operating as Savior, as Lord, as Prophet. We could go on and on with adjectives. And it only seemed right moving forwards as we come into the fourth week of Advent to direct our attention to the question of what are these benefits? Like, how does this factor into us? What are the benefits attached to the prophet, priest, and king? How, what are the benefits attached to who Christ is, what he does, and how are those benefits applied to you, to me, and the weird guy at the end of the street. And for that, we return to the book of Romans. If you've been following Bread of the Word for a while, you would, you've probably recalled that we were digging into Romans a couple of weeks ago. And we paused in Romans to talk about Advent. But it's, we're transitioning back into Romans, back into our, our usual swing. But it kind of fits with how we're tying all this to a close of why do we need this prophet, priest, and king. And so if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Romans chapter 5. We will be reading verses 1 through 11. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would 
dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. That's a mouthful. There's a lot in Romans 5, 1 through 11 here that we're going to be breaking down piece by piece. And it seems fitting to start with verse 1, which also brings us benefit 1. It says, therefore, meaning in light of the last four chapters, in light of the gospel that he's just laid out, that he has committed murder on our pride, Paul has delivered this indictment that we are all under sin, we are all under God's wrath, and we need Christ. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. The first benefit of being in Christ is peace with God through Christ. And it's important to note that it says peace with God. This is different from peace from God. It does talk in the Word of God of peace that comes from God. But we're talking about a peace with God, talking about our relation with God is peace. The enemies of God have been declared the children of God. Our peace with God was mediated or settled by Christ, the Prince of Peace. The Septuagint, which is to say the Greek translation of the Old Testament, renders the Hebrew word shalom in the same way as the word peace that appears in Romans 5.1. Paul's not merely talking about the end of a war, but the blessing of God upon his covenant people. As it says in Numbers 6.24, The Lord bless thee and keep thee. May the Lord make his face to shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. This is a blessing from the Old Testament that may, God may give you shalom. There is a different kind of peace, a deeper kind of peace that Paul is talking about here. We're not talking about just the end of a war. We're talking about a state of being here. That we are at peace with God. The enemies of God have been brought near to God. I believe Matthew Henry probably explains it best. And when I when I quote people, I'm going to quote a couple people in this episode, but I want to be clear that I don't quote people to try and flex my intellectual muscles or to pull things out of my armory. What I strive to do with Bread of the Word is to bring the listener into my study. This is not like canned sermons that I have written down a long time ago, and I'm just trying to get people to get it. This is what God is showing me. This is These are quotes that have helped me to process this passage, to draw out these deep concepts, these deeper concepts. And so Matthew Henry, I think, is very helpful in understanding this concept of peace. And he writes, It is sin that breeds the quarrel between us and God creates not only a strangeness, but an enmity. The holy, righteous God cannot in honor be at peace with a sinner while he continues 
under the guilt of sin. Justification takes away the guilt and so makes way for peace. The bottom line is the world wants peace, but we don't want to do the things that produce peace. The greatest kind of peace happens when wretched sinners become near to God, to the one in whom all things hold together. Our biggest problem has been solved by being justified through Christ. Verse 2. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. When the Bible says access, it means access. This is, this is the direct most meaning. We have access to God because of the cross. But wait a minute. We're justified, right? Why do we need to receive grace, to continue to receive grace if we've been declared just? My friend, we will need the grace of God every day of our lives. We will still struggle with sin. We have to continue to strive to fight that sin, to, as the Puritans said, kill sin, to mortify it out of service to Christ, to cast off everything that hinders us from further following and glorifying God with our lives. Psalm 51 says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. It says in Luke, I tell you, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. That's the words of Jesus right there. That unless we repent, we will perish. In Acts chapter 5, it says God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. When we read that word repent in the New Testament, the way that this was understood by the, the Greek-speaking Jews was that repent meant a change of heart and mind. And this is something that we also see laid out in Joel chapter 2. It says, Therefore also now saith the Lord, Turn ye even to me with all your heart. Turn to God with all your heart. With fasting, with weeping, with mourning. To be broken by our sin. And rend your heart, and not your garments, rend to God your innermost parts, not just external elements. And turn unto the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repenteth him of the evil. Repentance can only be understood as a turning away from sin and a new desire to be apart from sin. As Charles Spurgeon once wrote, you, are, you and Christ will never be one until you and your sin are two. Repentance is not a one and done thing. It is a posture of coming to hate our sins, of coming to hate the things for which Christ died, to be conformed to the image of Christ. And I'm not saying this as someone who has it all together, because I don't. I sin every day. 
I am still being conformed to the image of Christ, as it says in Romans 8.29. Repentance is still imperative to me. It is imperative to you. It is, as Christians, it is where we live. The only way we find relief from the hurts and aches of this world is through the cross of Christ, and the cross calls us to repent. As I pondered this topic, I came, I came upon some writings from a uh, pastor by the name of Martin Luther. And Martin Luther was very integral in rediscovering this idea of being saved by faith alone. That we cannot be good enough. It has to be all of Christ. And in, in a document he wrote on this subject, he writes, When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, Repent, he intended that the entire life of believers should be repentance. This word repentance cannot be understood to mean the sacrament of penance, of penance or the act of confession and satisfaction administered by the priests, talking about the Catholic Church. Yet it does not mean inward repentance only, as there is no inward repentance that does not manifest itself outwardly through various mortifications of the flesh. The penalty of sin, therefore, continues as long as hatred of self, or a true inward repentance, continues, and it continues until our entrance into the kingdom of heaven. We use this access to God that Paul talks about in verse 2 to repent of our sins and be made whole in Christ. We are being divorced from our sins, from that old way of living, that old worldview of death and depravity, and we are taking on the nature of Christ. This is why we have access to God. Benefit number three. This is not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Other translations say hope that does not disappoint. When Christ is your hope, his benevolence, his goodness, his sovereignty changes your outlook on life. When you are no longer under the wrath of God, there is goodness and purpose that can be seen so that we may glory in God alone. It says in Psalm 130, I wait for the Lord. In his word, I hope. Hebrews chapter 6 tells us that we have this hope as a sh sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone on as a forerunner on our behalf, talking about the priesthood of Christ, that he intercedes on our behalf. Because he intercedes on our behalf, we have hope. We may not get the desired outcome in all things. We may be disappointed by circumstances, but Christ does not disappoint. God's love, it says, has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. That there is a better way. That ultimately things are on the up and up. Not in the sense that we get prosperity, we get money, we get purpose, we get fulfillment. And these things come from Christ. 
Now, when we are walking in the ways of Christ, there are there are things that cannot be found elsewhere. In Christ, all things make sense. In Christ, the world clicks. And we have hope that is not founded on what we can see. And that hope does not disappoint. These and many others are the benefits that we reap when we come unto Christ. As you can see, they are crucial to life. We can't live without them. Not even on this earth. Can you live a meaningful life without a sense of purpose? Can you live without hope? As St. Augustine once wrote, No one can cross the sea of this world unless he's carried over it on the cross of Christ. The only way we get out of this, the only way we get through this world, is with Christ. It is Christ or chaos. Christ is essential. The gospel that Christ came and died for sinners is not the flu shot. The goal of the gospel is not to get people inoculated from our sins. It is only in the gospel that men can truly live. There is no quality of life apart from the gospel. The gospel is life support. Verse 6, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. While we were still far off, while we were still enemies of God, living in a constant state of treason against the Almighty, Christ died for us. Not only that, he died for us who were ungodly. It says in verse 7, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Suppose there was a man accused of serial murder, and he was ordered to the electric chair. And a local man offered his life in his place. That would be a noble man. That would, that would be an unthinkable gesture, offering his own life for another noble man accused under false pretense. This is not what Christ did. Christ didn't die for someone that got railroaded. Christ did not die for someone who was falsely accused. Suppose the man was convicted rightfully of the most heinous crimes imaginable. Would you volunteer your only son to die in his place? This is the scandal of grace. That Christ died for those who didn't deserve. Christ died for the ungodly, not the almost godly. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 9, since therefore we have now been justified by that blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. That, that, that was payment. The death of Christ paid, paid it all. The wrath of God was satisfied on the cross. That Christ took the fullness of his wrath and satisfied that justice for sin. So that you and I could be redeemed. And so we can be saved by, by his life and by his death. And it says more than that, we can rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
through whom we have now received reconciliation. We have been reconciled to the God of eternity by the person and work of Christ. That is the benefit of being in Christ. The prophet, priest, and king, this is how that all plays out, is we are reconciled to God by God. And perhaps the best summary of the benefits of the scandalous grace of God that changes everything and permeates everything is best summed up in the words of the late St. Patrick. Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ in the heart of everyone who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me, Christ in the eye that sees me, Christ in the ear that hears me. I arise today through the mighty strength of the Lord of creation. Christ is in you. Christ is with you. Christ is around you. These are the benefits of being Christ. This is how this redemption works out. That we who were not worthy to be in the presence of God now take the presence of God with us wherever we go. That we have become a temple of God. That we are a living temple, a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And that is the scandal of grace. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Bread of the Word podcast. I pray that it has been beneficial to your walk with God and that he has called you into a deeper relationship and fellowship with himself. If you want to hear more from Bread of the Word, feel free to hit that subscribe button down at the bottom. Get notified about new content whenever we go live. Um, you can also watch us on Rumble Video and YouTube, or you can listen on your favorite podcast platforms. Um, you can also find us on social media if you want to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Gab. Links will be provided in the bio um, if you would like to check those out. And there will also be a message in the comment section, um, a free gospel message for download entitled The Two J's, The Joy of the Potter and the Journey of the Clay. That is something that I've written, that is something God laid on me to write and then send out. And so I'm not making anything off of it. I'm not selling it. It is free for you to read and share. We need a further saturation of the gospel in our world, in our culture. And it starts right here. Bread of the Word Ministries exists for the reclamation of the Bible and the exaltation of Christ through the reading and teaching of his holy transformative word. I hope you guys have a great rest of your day. God bless. Matthew 4.4 4.